0: Hey guys, just a real quick programming note on today's podcast. In the first segment, I'm joined by Rich Hoffman and Mike O'Connor to discuss the Sixers and the upcoming NBA draft and what we all think they should do and what we think they will do. I'm then joined by two national guys, first by Sam Vecini, also of The Athletic, and then by Ricky O'Donnell, so they can give their perspective on what they think the Sixers can, should, and will do. So, hope you enjoy the podcast and thanks for listening. All right, welcome everybody. I am Derek. I'm joined by Mike and Rich here at the Sixers practice facility getting ready for Thursday's NBA draft. After this we will have a couple of experts. I've, I've talked to Sam Vicini and Ricky O'Donnell will work to get a couple more in addition to that tack on to the end of this. But how you guys doing?
1: Waiting for the draft, man. This is uh
0: not that you guys aren't experts. I mean some outside experts. Let me clarify. That.
1: I am certainly not an expert
0: on this. <laughs> this is where this is the first draft podcast we've done all year. Typically, we would be doing this in December. It really is a a, a different year in that regard.
2: Yeah, it's kind of ridiculous how little time we've had. I mean, well, going from a playoff run to a new GM search to the draft, all in about eight days.
0: Well, but even now, it feels like we could almost focus our attention somewhere else better. You've got to, Kawhi trade talks, you've got a GM search, you've still got free agency, and you know, fucking 12 days, excuse my language, 12 days from now, it still feels like this might be the, the the least important thing of everything the Sixers have on their plate.
1: Why'd you say, excuse my language, because we're in the practice facility? I
0: don't or? know. I, in all honesty, I try to limit cursing as much as I can.
1: You'll do a good job. No,
0: <laughs> I, I, I drop F-bombs way too frequently, and, and I, I would honestly like to cut back on that, but ah. I have a sailor's mouth. All
1: right. Yeah, but it's, I mean, there's been so much going on, and I, it's even just a... To show you guys what we've kind of been doing with our, our stuff at the Athletic, we had a week—I think a week ago—we had planned all of our, uh, you know, all of our draft profiles, and then and then Burnergate happens, yeah. and then once everything settles down, the Kawhi stuff happens. So it's just like there's been so much stuff that's kind of gotten in the way of this draft, which also is very important.
0: Yeah, I mean we, we, we had we had posts scheduled out and I mean schedules with us are pretty much worthless we're not not the greatest at keeping to them. But we certainly had this stuff scheduled. I mean Mike works for a fucking scouting. Oh, there we go again. Mike works for Sorry a scouting service and even he's not been writing about the draft because there's just so much going on in Sixers lane. But the draft is this week we do have to talk about it. And like I said, we will talk to a couple of outside experts as well. Let's start off with the 10th pick because that is the most pressing We'll start off with Mike. Who do you like there? Who do you hope they stay away from? And, and then we'll add a, a third question onto that. Who do you think they will end up drafting?
2: Okay. Um, I think if you're the Sixers, it has to be a three-person race. Um, I think you're looking at Kevin Knox, Lonnie Walker, and Mikhail Bridges. I just think those are the three guys who you look at in that range and fill a clear need, all three of them, and definitely make the team better in one way or another. Um, if I'm, you know, having to choose between those three, I would say that Knox and Walker definitely have higher upside and are guys that are going to fill needs on this team more so than Mikael Bridges. Well, even though I really like Mikael, I just think that you really need somebody that can dribble a basketball in a playoff game. And I'm not all that confident that Mikael is going to be that dynamic off the dribble um this
0: this helps explain your anti-Zaire Smith take (laughs)
2: yeah it it definitely contributes to it um but yeah in terms of who I hope they stay away from I think that you know in that range guys who I don't think they should take are like Shea Gilgis Alexander I don't think that he really fits in in the Sixers system um I think there's just a really long way to go for his jump shot I don't think there's much to be positive about looking at his pull up uh, and how he, you know the way he plays in the pick and roll is just so easy to counter from an NBA defense perspective. Um, and then other guys in that range, I mean, who knows if Michael Porter would be available, but I, I don't think I don't think that's a good fit here. And I think we'd all agree on that. Um, but yeah, I think I think ten, you know, Zaire Smith would be a little bit of a reach. I like to play the heel on Zaire. I do like Zaire. I just don't think he's a top ten pick. Um, but yeah, I, I, like I said, I think it's a three-person race, and I think that they'd have to be content with walking away from this draft with Mikhail Knox, or Lonnie Walker.
0: I liked Zaire a lot more when it seemed like he was a realistic chance at 26. At 10, I agree. There's almost no world where I see him being the best available talent.
2: For sure, and I hate to like nitpick him to the degree that I have. It's just that we have we have such little evidence of him being able to dribble and, you know, you really question whether or not his shot is going to translate in a major way. I mean, I'll, I'll put it this way. If you draft someone who is like somewhere in the Justice Winslow family tree with the 10th pick in the draft or, you know, some people are suggesting you should go ahead of that, that is like a borderline fireball offense for a director of scouting. I, that That's just like, that's just my opinion. But, Um,
0: It also helps that there's a lot more of his archetype available later on in the first round.
2: For sure. There's a lot of guys in this draft who you're very confident in their defense and not as much in everything else. And I think that's what makes Zaire not so much of a rare commodity in this draft.
1: Some of those dunks, though, man.
0: (laughs) (laughs) He has very good YouTube, but that's the other podcast.
2: He had a couple today that were ridiculous.
1: He is, Yeah, I I, I largely agree with you, His, his ball handling and just his... Overall offensive package. I'm not as big of a believer in. That's like one of the craziest athletes I've ever seen. Uh, I wish, you know, and, and you'd be willing to overlook that a little bit if he wasn't six four and he was, you know, six seven, six eight. Then, then there might be, you know, more potential and a higher upside there. Uh, as far as like the guys who the Sixers should pick, it's it, there's this philosophical There's a couple of philosophical questions at the draft. The, you know, the first one is why are there so many big guys at the top of the. Uh, the board when you watch the NBA finals and there's not a lot of big guys on the floor. There's the league has a lot of wings. And so when the Sixers are, uh, are picking, there are a lot of wings, but the philosophical question is shot creation versus shooting. And can you kind of blend the two? And, you know, Brett Brown kind of talked about this. It goes further than three and D and you look back at the Celtics series, They had more guys who could make plays off the dribble, and they had more guys who could defend. So, you know, as far as Mikael Bridges is concerned, I I love his fit with the Sixers in terms of just a guy who can shoot, like, off screens and has that type of gravity. But like Mike said, I'm not sure he has the playmaking upside of someone like Lonnie Walker or Kevin Knox. The question is, you know, the calculus is how much are you willing to bet on those guys? They're – their shooting and their defense to an extent, their kind of ability to play basketball, you know, translating the NBA level. Because Mikael Bridges, his efficiency numbers this year were eye-popping. If you look on Synergy, he is in the 99th percentile of total offense. And part of that was that he played for an unbelievable system, unbelievable coach with four first-round, maybe. Spellman's probably going to go in the second round.
0: Can we just back up for a second? We started talking about some of these guys. Like – um, Michigan State, like Kentucky, just the fact that they're well-coached and play in a, a system that makes sense, you can't always take for granted. You can't. And and to have talent that, you know, can all shoot threes. Which, not, which, by the way, two great coaches, don't get me wrong. Roster construction is more what I was I was getting at there. You know,
1: Jay Wright is a much... I don't
0: need an Izzo fan getting in my mentions. <laughs> it's not what I meant.
1: He's a much better GM than, uh, than Tom Izzo is. But... I mean God, some of those numbers and, and the ability to uh Uh oh. Somebody just walked in. Uh but yeah. So I, I think that's kind of the question with with Mikhail Bridges is how much either do you think he can improve off the dribble or how much do you care? Uh and, and I you know, to, to kind of uh, preview who I think the Sixers are gonna take, I think there's a decent chance they, they like what they've seen from Mikhail. Yeah,
0: with with Mikhail Here's the thing. If his defense is actually incredible, I don't really care about the ball handling that much. If he's going to make shots and he's going to D up two or three positions, then creating off the dribble is is sort of a bonus. Like we were talking about earlier, you can't run out five Robert Covingtons. And I think sometimes – in the efficiency-obsessed analysis we have, sometimes you can you can miss that, I think, context and role is going to be important. But I think you can always find a role for a guy like Bridges if he translates. I question a little bit the defense. Not that it's, he's not going to be a good defender. I question whether he's going to be a great defender. I think, I think a lot of people look at him and they say, okay, he can replace Robert Covington. Which, first of all, I just fundamentally disagree with. There's nothing wrong with having two Robert Covington types. But I also think a lot of people don't necessarily see... I, I think he's a lot more like Robert Covington than I think people expect. I think he's more of a team defender and a switchable guy than he is a, a on-ball perimeter defender. I think he still has a lot of limitations. He might be a better finisher than Robert Covington, but I think he's got a lot of the limitations in terms of dribbling, attacking closeouts, creating off the dribble. What I want to see from McHale is shooting coming off the screen, shooting on the move, and just having enough of a functional dribble to attack a closeout and be competent in tight spaces. And I think what we've seen from him over the last two years, I think he will reasonably get there. The other main concern with his defense and multi-positional equity, I'm not sure I see him defending the four. And I think that's a lot one thing where people who compare him to Covington maybe miss out a little bit on.
2: Yeah, I think, I mean, if I were going to make an argument against Mikel, I would say, you know, when, when I look at Lonnie Walker, like Rich touched on it in his piece, but, one of Lonnie's best skills is that he just attacks closeouts like violently. Like his ability to kind of jab step in one direction and then just rip through and drive to the other. Like he's unbelievable at that. It's kind,
1: of, it's kind of like Derrick Rose
2: almost. Yeah, like, it's, like it's, just it's the,
1: the ability to cut on a dime, and he, like you said, he blows by people on yeah. those closeouts. Like he is fully past those guys.
2: And that's something that that the Sixers, no player on the Sixers roster, could really do at least in the sense that you also have to draw a closeout. I mean, everyone on the Sixers roster last year could either shoot or penetrate. There was no one that could do both. And I worry about the fact that, you know, you add Mikel Bridges, and I I just question whether he has the elite explosiveness, like we mentioned from Alani Walker, where he just blows by those closeouts and can put it on the deck, and just whether or not he has the junk to his game to be able to create a little bit if it's not a straight-line drive. I mean... I don't think it, I don't think it's unreasonable to say that like you know I'm I'm skeptical that he'll be able to do that in a major way and that's not even like a knock on him or his work ethic it's just like think about how hard it is to do an in and out dribble with a 7 foot 2 wingspan I mean there's a reason that most centers in the NBA can't do that it's really really hard I mean I think his his arms are long to a point where it almost makes his dribble like robotic um and that, that's kind of where I would say you know, it, like we said, the philosophical discussion, you kind of know what Mikhail is going to be, and you feel really good about that, and he definitely makes his team better. There's no doubt about that, but it's a matter of, does he improve them in the areas where they need it the most?
1: All right, so, I'm sorry, go ahead. And like, t- to be clear, Lonnie's handle is not A-plus by right. any means, uh, but... You do see more of an upside there, and you do see a little more shake, a little more wiggle than Mikhail. Than I uh, I do think Mikhail' is going to be able to attack closeouts in, in terms of straight-line drives, but in terms of like creating for himself,
0: I, I think there
1: there's definitely a ceiling
0: there. All right, so rank these four guys for me, as fits for the Sixers and who you'd want to draft if you're running the Sixers. Lonnie Walker, Kevin Knox, Mikhail Bridges, My- Miles Bridges.
1: So so for me it would go um it would go Mikael uh I'll say Kevin uh Lonnie and then Miles.
2: I would go Lonnie Kevin Knox Mikael Miles.
0: Interesting. I think I would probably go Kevin Lonnie Mikhail Miles. But I think there's a lot of, I'm not 100% firm on that. Like, I like various aspects of, especially those first, I think Miles is kind of in a tier back, you know, by himself. I think the other three guys are arguments that could be made. Quite frankly, I could be swayed. I think they each bring something interesting. I would consider Lonnie over Kevin just because I think they need his skill set a little bit more. A lot more, to be honest. Um, and I would consider McHale because, quite frankly, he might be the safest of those three. So I think there's real arguments to be made. I do think I just tend to veer towards upside in this spot because the Sixers have so few ways to ha- add really talented players going forward that I'm willing to bet a little bit more. I think, like I said, I think I think McHale might be the the safest of the three.
2: I think he's the safest, but doesn't that kind of presents? Um like a philosophical question. Um, Like, I think it's pretty likely that at 10 they have a choice between McHale and one of Lonnie or Kevin Knox. And I could just so easily see either Lonnie or Kevin Knox having, you know, not only higher upside but ended up turning out a better product than McHale and then you look back on that pick and say they played it too safe.
0: Yeah, I could could certainly understand both of those guys having more upside than McHale. Um, I think Lonnie is the one I probably have the least amount of confidence in and Kevin is the one I have the least amount of confidence in the fit in which is why I think mikhail might be a, a reasonable kind of middle ground
1: yeah I think in, in a sense I mean Miles is the guy we, we're kind of not talking about here and he you know we, we talked about him a little bit off, off air a little bit earlier today he's a guy who seems like jack of all trades but maybe master of none and it's I I I do like him. I I just wish he was like two inches taller. You know, he 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 definitely has more more playmaking equity than Mikael does. He shows you know, it's, it's just it just he's, the handle is a little too inconsistent for me. The shot is a little too inconsistent yep. for me. He's not quite long enough. I mean, I'm looking at it right now. He's Six six with a six nine wingspan. It just, I just wish, I just a little bit more. Um, and obviously, I mean, w- when you look at all these guys, age also plays a factor. Mikhail is a couple years older than,
0: yep. than the rest of these guys. Oh, for sure. And if you would uh, compare Mikhail's, you know, age nineteen season to Lonnie or Kevin, it's not even, it's not even close. It's not even close. All right, let's. A uh, lot of talk about the Sixers potentially moving up in the draft. Um, In the top five, the the Grizzlies have been a a pretty specific target because they want to attach the four pick to the Chandler Parsons contract, probably get something back in terms of young value as well. But there's been a lot of of talk about the Sixers trading up. So if they do that, we won't get into the the particulars of the trade-up right now because there's so much that could go into it. But if they traded up three names, um, Luka Doncic, Trey Young, Michael Porter Jr., Rank them? Rank them. Talk about what you like, don't like, what you'd have interest in, what you wouldn't have any interest in, things of that sort.
2: Um, okay, if they're going to trade up, I would say the ranking of those three guys should go Luca, Trey, Michael Porter. Um, and I'm not the biggest Doncic guy, and I, I've told you guys that. I don't have Doncic in my top five just outside of it. Hot take. <laughs> But, you know, I think I think he makes a ton of sense for this team. Um, you know, I, I really like what he'd be able to do as the fourth best player, maybe, depending on what happens with Marco Fultz. But, um, you know, just being able to create in pick and rolls and take a little bit of the burden off of Embiid and passing over the top to rolling Embiid and, um, you know, just being able to hit spot-up threes. I think his, his role is so simple and so clear on this team, and you also don't get the defensive liability of a Trey Young, um, I think he's the guy that would make the most sense if they were going to trade up for.
1: Yeah, I think that's way easier to rank than the Sixers guys, personally. I think Mike, Mike nailed it. Luca, Trey, Michael Porter. I, Michael Porter, there's just way too much going on. And, again, we, we didn't really get to see him play college basketball. Uh, I, I just, from what I've read and what I've seen, the type of player he is, that, I don't seem doesn't seem like the type of player who who I sort of fall in love with, kind of an iso scorer who I'm not sure really will contribute to winning basketball. Uh definitely higher on Luka than Mike is, uh and and Trey Young. You know, uh, he offensively has the chance I think to be really freaking good as a, as a pick and roll player, but you know, I think he's going to get absolutely abused on the defensive end, which is why he kind of slots in between those two.
0: Yeah, I I'm certainly a hell of a lot higher than on Luca than Mike. Uh, I still, I've been debating one and two all year. I don't particularly trust DeAndre Ayton, but I also can't deny his talent. And I think if push came to shove, you asked me who to select number one overall, it, it would be Ayton. Uh, my entire philosophy at the, at the top of the draft isn't to worry about swings and misses; it's to not miss the guys who could be generational talent. And he he has that kind of talent. And he's not. In the Okafor mold in terms of, you know, I think he fits in the modern NBA. I think he can be a a real pick-and-roll big. I think he has the talent to extend beyond that. And I think defensively, if you ever get through to him, I think he has so much more upside defensively than Okafor did it's not even worth discussing. Like, he really is a a physical prototype. But I still have Doncic second. I I understand a lot of the concerns. I understand the, the athletic limitations. um But especially on this team, you know, I think if you're going to ask him to come in and be a a 20-point-a-game scorer and be the number one option, I understand a lot of the trepidation. But when you're talking about a guy who can kind of be a second or a third option, who can run in a pick-and-roll, I think one of the interesting things is going to be when he, if he gets onto a team that has another shot creator and he's kind of running secondary action, you know, I think what you're going to want. First of all, I think, and Mike and I kind of talked about this the other day, he's a lot more comfortable as a step-back shooter than coming off of a screen and stepping into a shot. I think he has that within him to develop that, though. I don't question his jump shot much at all. But he's going to need that to kind of force switches and get some matchups. But I think on this team, the easiest way to get a corner three still is to find a real good role man and a guy who can see over the defense and make that pass. And I think when people talk about Luka's passing, I think you have to really separate he might be elite in that regard, like elite, top five in the NBA kind of upside there. And he's so good at, you know, perimeter defenders are so good at tagging the role man and recovering. The timing of that, not just seeing over the defense and not just the vision. The timing of it's very important. He has all that timing down. I think he'd be a great fit. Like I said, I'm I'm pretty bullish on the jump shot. He's clearly, to me, if you're going to trade up, the guy to do it for. Trey Young, I worry. Another really good passer, probably an underrated passer because people focus so much on his scoring and his shooting. Not gonna. He doesn't have the size to see over the defense like Luca does. He doesn't have the quickness, and yet, I mean, the athleticism is such a huge concern. That scoring inside the paint on anything that's not a step-back jumper is going to be difficult at times. And he has so many defensive concerns that if there's any drop in his offense, then I mean, we, we talked about this earlier. If he has a bad shooting night, he might be run off the floor. Um, but I also think the Sixers are maybe the right spot for him because you have that big man in Embiid. You have that guy in Simmons who's a freak of nature who can help him create offense, that maybe you can buy him space he otherwise can't create consistently for himself. And if you do, he can certainly make shots. He can certainly make reads. He could fit in that regard. I worry, though, that there's so little margin for error. I've said this before. If there's going to be another Steph Curry, and I think this this comparison gets thrown out. I don't want to compare Trey Young to Steph Curry. But if there's gonna be another Steph Curry, I will miss on him because I don't trust like it's kinda of like Steve Nash. Ninety nine percent of the Steve Nash that come in the league don't work out. There's you're gonna to have to find that one special guy. Banking on one of those guys being special, it's just very tough for me. And Porter, I'm I'm pretty far out on.
2: It's funny, like, none of us talked about Porter at all. Like he's just <laughs> yeah. he's not even in the, the conversation.
0: Here's the thing with Porter. He has so many bad habits, and like his defense was non-existent at times. And for a guy with his athleticism, it shouldn't be. Like you look at him and you say, oh, he could switch three and four. It's more like I don't think he's going to defend either the three and four than he could defend both. You look at his shot selection, his real, no feel creating for others. A lot of the habits that he could get away with at the AAU circuit in high school, he's not going to be able to get away with. You really need to come into Missouri and kind of show that he could play a more structured system, and clearly, I mean, that wasn't the case. So I think there's a lot of variability. Like, if you want to make an argument that he could be an All-Star down the line, I'm not going to tell you you're crazy. I think it's within the realm of of possible outcomes. But if you're going to tell me that he's not going to be a quote-unquote winning player, and I hate that's kind of like a hot take phrase, but if he's not really going to, if you're going to tell me he's not going to contribute to winning, I could buy that too. Then you throw in the back injury and. You know, back injuries never recur later in a career. He, he's just to me. He's he's. If the Sixers were in a different spot, where maybe they didn't have a star yet, they didn't have a superstar, they needed someone to build around. Maybe you could convince me to take a a gamble on him. But where they are, I just I I would stay away personally.
2: Yeah. Mike. Yeah, I'm completely with that. I mean, I, I I don't see where he would fit in on the Sixers really. Um. I mean, my hope for him as a prospect, like I think I think his most realistic upside name is like a Richard Lewis stretch four. I mean, right. just do that do that kind of thing, but you know I mean I, I worry like at, I
0: didn't see him compete on the glass enough to even really buy that though.
2: I didn't see him give a shit about anything enough to <laughs> bu- really buy that. I mean like if you if you haven't watched like a full game of Michael Porter yet, go on YouTube and and look up Michael Porter's state championship game in high school. You are watching him compete for the state championship for his high school team, and he just gives no shits on defense. It is unbelievable. Like, he does not move. Um, and again,
0: there are some players who are so good in high school, they have these bad habits that they can overcome it. A lot of what we're saying right now, we said about Jason Tatum at various points. But Tatum is an edge case in terms of how smart he is, on how hard he worked. And quite frankly, he played defense at a much higher level than Michael Porter did in high school. So you can transform. It's not even really the ISO scoring that bothers me as much. It's that I just don't see him compete frequently enough.
2: Right. And it boils down to kind of like a self-awareness thing. Like when you look at him coming back to Missouri, like that was a team that that had a pecking order and that had been successful throughout the year. And he comes back for the last two games and he's like, I'm going to make this the Michael Porter show. And, like, I'm saving the team. I'm back just in time. And it's just like I I really question if he – has the self-awareness to fit into a system like that and really care about, you know, the things that you have to care about when you're not a top three player in the league and you can't, like, coast on any given possession.
0: Yeah, he he, 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 he concerns me. Um, and that's not even talking about the back, which you, you can't ignore. Um, I am willing, and this contradicts what I said at the top with Aiden, I'm willing, if he turns out to be a star, so be it. You know, I think, I think the Richard Lewis comp is, is pretty good. You know, I think if he was going to fit a role on his team, it would be the Dario Sharish kind of role. Um, and quite frankly, I just, I I trust, and Dario doesn't have half the talent of him, I trust Dario more.
3: Yeah,
2: for sure. And a lot of what makes Dario work on this team is his effort, his IQ, like that kind of thing. And you're just getting none of that with Porter.
1: Dar has been thrown into a lot of trades, trade scenarios recently, whether it's the Kawhi Leonard one or maybe it's the trade-up with the Grizzly yeah. scenario. And while I understand like he's not as talented as Embiid and Simmons, I, I kind of feel dirty when I see that because it's like he, he's done everything right for the Sixers.
0: Yeah, and I mean, look, a lot of times you want to trade for a Kawhi Leonard, you have to give up something of value. Like, even a distressed property like Kawhi, who's coming off an injury and essentially forcing his way out, like, you're going to have to give up something. I'll I'll see a lot of fans talking about, like, Markel. Like, oh, he's going to prove the haters wrong. Like, no, saying you'll trade him for Kawhi Leonard or that you'll trade Dario for Kawhi Leonard doesn't make you a Dario hater. Like, you you, you have to give up something of value for Kawhi. But when you're talking about... Okay, so moving up to four in the draft, brought up a lot. You know, I don't think it's going to be just, first of all, I mean, you're going to have to eat that Chandler Parsons contract, it looks like. But also, I think it's going to end up taking more than just that. I think you're going to have to throw in a, a young player of value, whether that's a Covington, who's not really young, but is certainly value. And, and Memphis, you know, kind of fancies himself still a playoff contender. Or a, a, a guy like Dario. Yeah, I, I
1: certainly, I mean, Luka would be the guy who I would trade up, you know, that, that would be the guy who i trade up to four to get, but... I mean, you, you'd even mention what what are they doing with Fultz Is you know, is whether or not he's proving the haters wrong, or you just are you just trying to have Luca be insurance for him? Well, I, I, don't I, know. I mean,
0: look, it's a sunk cost. You can't look at it this way. But at that point, you'd end up trading, you know, last year's three pick, this year's ten pick, and next year's potential top five pick for one player. Like that's a, that's a Von Hayes situation here in different sport. But you better be damn sure Luke is going to be not good but great. Yep. you
1: better be sure. Fultz
0: is done. Is done. Yeah,
1: right. Because, uh, not to say you you can't. I mean, you can't have enough playmakers. But if you had, if you were sure Markel Fultz is going to be the guy we saw at Washington, then that trade isn't as necessary.
0: Right. Okay. So here, here's a question because I know you're not. You, you just said Luke is not in your top five. If they got the fourth pick, who do you take? Um, let's, well,
2: let's assume Aiden's off the, the board. What's top three?
0: Ayton. That's a great question. I have no idea.
1: So let's say Ayton, Jaron Jackson, and Bagley, Bagley? are off the
0: board. I, I think the latest intel is Bagley going two to the Kings, which makes such perfect sense in my mind.
2: Am I, am I the Grizzlies or am I the Sixers? Here? You're,
0: you tr- you're the Sixers who traded up the four.
2: Uh, Yeah, I would go with Luca. I think he makes the most sense theoretically on the Sixers. Um, And that's like, you know, I...
0: It's hard to take like Bomba Yeah, the Sixers, yeah.
2: Yeah, and it's also that... You know, part of the reason that I don't have Luca in my top five is that I don't imagine him on a team like the Sixers. Like, if Luca goes to the Kings at number two, that's a terrible situation. He he's the, the really the primary. Initiator. The reason they're not
0: giving him their medical information. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
2: So I mean, that's that's I think what's left out about Luca, and and we talked about like the whole efficiency thing earlier on. But like, if you're like a blank slate lottery team, like if you're the Hawks at number three and you have nothing. Is Luka Doncic really the best pick there when you're pretty pretty confident that he can't be the best player on, like, a really good team and that, you know, it's more likely that he's, like, a great second or third player? Um, am I really going to recommend to the Hawks that they should take a guy like that when there's potential upside for, you know, a guy like Jaron Jackson, um, you know, guys like that that have, you know, the potential to be, you know, much better than that? Um that, that's kind of where I'm at with Luca, But, you know, I envision him having a pretty good potential fit with the Sixers. Like, he's the guy I would select if they were going to move up.
0: It was interesting to listen to the low post where I think they said, like, all the good teams like Luca and all the bad teams hate him. And it's not just, like, there's a little bit of, like, maybe bad teams don't scout well, which, as someone who likes Luca, I would like that to be the take. I think it's much more that he makes more sense on a good team. I mean, he could step in on the Sixers, who I'm going to back myself up cuz every time i talk about immediate contribution it backfires drastically but i could see him stepping up averaging 12 4 and 4 tomorrow like even as a 19 year old he's got that kind of skill set he's got that kind he thinks the game at that kind of level but you're right in terms of of being the franchise guy i think it's going to be a tough go for him especially early i always do wonder and for a european club real madrid's real good at like they have a real good strength and conditioning program He's been working with P3, but you also look at him. He's got you know, he's got some baby fat still on him yet. I, still, I wonder if there's a little untapped potential in his athleticism, but that's really hard to predict, really hard.
1: Oh, I think that would be huge for him, just a, a, a little more athleticism. I mean, we've, see, we've seen guys tap into that once they get into the NBA. And, you know, he's been – I mean, he's been – how long has he been playing? High-level professional basketball? I mean, he came over Three, to, four years? He came, well, he came over to uh, Spain at like 13. He's such a crazy prospect because I agree. Like in terms of watching him run the pick and roll, I think he might be one of the best in the NBA if you just play you know, regular, like sink the guy back and play push pick and roll defense. Like I think he'll car- carve you up. But could he beat a switch? I'm not as
2: positive that, but, that he could do that. And Mike well, that, brought up, that, would, that you up ha- to my, sorry. would you
0: even have to switch on him if he doesn't develop that pull up jumper?
2: That's what I'm worried about. Is I don't have a ton of confidence in him being like a great downhill scorer, in which case, like why don't you just drop your big way into the paint, have like a feisty guard fight over the pick and roll, and he's not gonna get to his pull up. You stay home on your shooters and there's really no nothing he can do with the ball. You have to trust that he's gonna turn into this like great downhill pull up threat. And I just don't see an example of that. But going off to the to the question of like a switch I posed the question to you. We saw D'Anthony Melton work out today. I said, who do you think wins in a one-on-one, D'Anthony Melton or Luka Doncic? And no, I, th- I
0: think the quick guy typically wins in a one-on-one.
2: Yeah, but it also to me says more that. and, again, I'm not I'm not trying to say that one-on-one is like back the back end-all, back. be-all of, of draft evaluation. I'm just saying it says something that I don't think Luka can break down a pretty good defensive guard at all.
1: On the other hand, he was the EuroLeague MVP
0: at
1: – Nineteen years old.
0: And here's the other thing. I know Mike's going to shit on the A.C.B. because it's not a fast league. Um, those, are, those are
1: grown men, though,
0: man. There's grown ass men. But he's the only one of these group like that's really gone up and played against N.B.A. players. Like he's played against Ricky Rubio. He's played against Kristaps Porzingis. Um, you're not going to see much Marvin Bagley tape against N.B.A. players. I share the concern. Like if he was again the number one option, I would certainly be concerned about that. Um, but on a team like the Sixers where he is the second, third, maybe even a fourth option, if if Hell and Drew Hanlon figure their shit out, then I think that, you know, there's one thing I never think you can have too much of, and that's that's decision-making. And I think he has that in spades. You know, it, typically it comes at the expense of either positional size or shooting because they typically, you know, decision-makers tend to be point guards, or at least historically not in the, the new NBA. And I think he can be, I think he can I think he can be real good. I, I have a I have a little more confidence in him as a shooter, downhill and off the dribble too. But we don't need to spend too much time talking about that because, quite frankly, I still think it's a very low chance they actually trade up. You yeah. Get yeah, We spend
1: ten we spend ten to fifteen minutes talking about something. It's not gonna almost happen. assuredly. Yep. Not gonna and happen. to clarify,
2: I like Luca Doncic. No, Luka you hate Doncic. Luka Doncic. Luka Doncic. Everybody's, everybody's gonna, everybody's gonna <laughs> at me on Twitter after the, after this podcast, like, oh, you're so low on Luca. Like, I think he should be the sixth pick in the draft. Like, that's pre- I'm pretty high on somebody like that. Like. I don't know. I'm not. I, I'm not saying he's going to be a terrible player. We can move on. <laughs> hey hot take.
1: Here's my hot take. Jaron Jackson should be the first pick in the draft.
2: There's a hot take.
0: I mean, I look. I've talked to scouts on NBA teams who agree with you. Um, in terms of safety, I think he might be the safest of the top. Uh, so I I have Jackson three, and I think it's a pretty comfortable three. I think there's a drop in tier after that. But it's just so hard to, like, I don't, I'm not sure I see anything taking him number one. And, look, I love, I love Jaron Jackson. I'm not going to, I'm not going to argue too much about that. But well, I
1: love offering a hot take on something that doesn't, doesn't affect matter the Sixers <laughs> at yet. all.
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, there are times this year where actually. I've had Jaron Jackson too, so we're not. We're not that far out. Yeah,
3: um, and it doesn't matter. It doesn't A- matter. Because Aiden's going to go
0: Nobody's going to go back and re-listen to this podcast in six years and say, oh, Richard's Jaron Jackson. <laughs> um, that's the great thing about podcasts over uh, over written content.
2: Yeah, there's no screenshots on no, podcasts. No, there's not. Um,
0: <laughs> all right. Moving on to 26 in the second round. We're not going to talk about each pick. They're not going to keep all picks. It's pointless talking about specific spots. But in that 26 through 30 range, some of the names that you guys like.
1: I mean, there's a ton. You know, it's it is.
0: I feel like the
1: 10th pick is a crapshoot, and then you get to 26, and, and you have all these guys that you could see maybe carving out a role in the NBA. Uh, the one guy who who I really like, and and maybe this is what you guys were talking about a little bit with our philosophical debate earlier in terms of shot creation versus off-ball shooting and gravity. Maybe you go and, and take one of those guys who has the shot creation upside and take at 26 somebody who has the gravity. And if that's the case, uh, Kevin Herter from Maryland is a guy I really like. Um, just a guy who just, like, runs off screens. He might be – some of the shots he hit off screens like, – like, I thought Mikael Bridges did a really good job of that th- this year. Kevin Herter was, like, flying off screen. So maybe he has the chance to to sort of you – know, I don't think he's as good as a shooter as, as Redick is, obviously. He was, like, a generational guy in terms of free throw percentage and just uh, – Everything he did it Duke. But I do think Kevin Herter has a chance to be like a really good off ball shooter. Um, can make like a few plays off the dribble. I don't think he's. He might be right on the edge of secondary creator. Um, He's he's somebody I like. As far as the Sixers are concerned, though, I, I'm afraid they're going to take a European guy again. Like. It's Just a stash? Yeah,
0: because uh, of hey, the lack of. We don't have anti European bias. We have. Putting people higher on your board because you don't have to put a roster spot on them right away. By this. Well, yeah, I should
1: I, I should say take a European to have them stashed. Like right. if you want to take one of the European guys and play them this year,
0: you know, or take great. one of the European guys and stash them, but they better they should be the best player available. Yeah. Although if, if we're being clear, like they're selling so many these picks anyway, I don't have a problem if they take somebody at thirty nine. Solely because they can stash them overseas. Like you're, you're just not going to have four, or five, six rookies on this roster. It's better than selling the pick, which I assume they're probably going to do at least one of these anyway. Um, I think what I don't want to see is a trade up to get a guy like Pesicniks just because you don't have to put him on a roster. Right?
2: That that like line of thinking of we're just going to draft somebody so we can stash them has really burned them in the past. I mean not just not not just in the sense of stashing them, but just drafting European guys ahead of potential NBA contributors. Like if you just go back three years, in twenty fifteen Willie Hernan Gomez could have been Josh Richardson, and then the next year Furkan Korkmaz could have been DeJounte Murray, and then the next year Pasechniks could have been Kuzma or Josh Hart. I mean just drafting guys who are so raw and have, you know, in my opinion, all three of those guys pretty limited upside. I question why, you know, those those were the choices ahead of guys who I thought had clear NBA skills. And doing that again when there are guys, like you said, that we that we like in that range and we can be pretty confident are going to contribute, I don't think that would be a good move in this draft.
1: There's so many guys I like there. I like Melton, who you talked about earlier. Uh, Ragu from Nova is kind of interesting to me as a, as a guy who can make shots off the dribble. I, I would prefer – like make the first round pick not about stashing somebody do what you want to do in the second round and i mean to be fair to them last year they took bolden in the second round who seems like he's worlds better than yeah Yeah. it's just weird how that works out uh but yeah the uh you know and there are other guys in the second round i like too but you know they've talked about how it's not 2015 2014 anymore where kj mcdaniels and Jeremy Grant can sign a contract and then just get a ton of playing time. I understand that. But, like, I don't know, at the end of the first round, there's still value to be had there. Yeah. And this draft, while maybe not, like, it doesn't have the top-end talent. You know, we're talking about Luca as a guy who might need to be on a good team. Aiton's a big guy who, you know, there's some defensive concerns. Maybe it doesn't have the one star-level player that some other drafts do, like Ben Simmons maybe. Um. I do like some of the the depth here down at the bottom of the draft here. I think a lot of people have said like towards the bottom in terms of like wings and, and role players that there is value to be had here. So don't don't pick a guy just to stash him.
0: I mean, you could you could always draft Spike Eston's, Eskin's favorite Cree Thomas. I mean, that, that's <laughs> always an option.
2: Cree could contribute. I'm I'm serious. Like you you'd be hard pressed to convince me that. Kyrie Thomas couldn't couldn't find oh, no. a spot in this rotation next year. I like Kyrie year.
0: Thomas. Cree Thomas is the <laughs> one that I was pointing out.
2: Fair. It's fair. funny.
1: Elton Brand yesterday though said at ten, that guy's gonna have trouble cracking the rotation uh, next year. And I was thinking like,
0: what are you talking about?
1: Like, if, if he's good,
0: yeah, I, no, I, I, if, I would if, hope not. If if you draft well, he should he should. And we're not talking start. Like, we're not talking to be featured, but, like, crack the rotation, yeah. I'm talking playing.
1: Like play over right. TLC and Justin right.
0: Anderson. Right. Right. Who, who, by the way, you don't believe in any of them anyway. Um, all right. I think that's probably good. Uh, what, will, what's,
1: what's like, a late first, second-round round
0: guy that you guys like?
2: Um, I mean, Melton is probably the guy I'm highest on in that range. I just really trust his defensive instincts and IQ, versatility. Uh, the shot did not look good today, but I do have confidence in it in general. Um, so, like, I mean, guys like him, Kyrie, even Javon Carter could be available in the Javon, second I round. Like Javon Carter. He's just okay. a bulldog, man. I, I just I trust him to defend the point of attack, and I trust his shot. So,
1: just just somebody to guard Terry Rozier when when you <laughs> yeah. when you have nobody who can do it. I like uh,
2: to imagine Javon and TJ going at it in practice. Uh, be some, that would be a sight to see.
1: There'd be some fistfights, I'd imagine. Yeah.
2: Uh, yeah.
0: Now, th- those are, those are guys I, I went to. Melvin Frazier I like a little bit too. I don't like his offensive decision making, but he'll work with that. And Anthony Simons just because I want to see people try to spell Simmons, Simons, and then Simmons with the uh, with, with, with the Flyers. Like that's always it cracks me up. Um, also, he's really young and athletic. Um, there's some there's some options, and the Sixers have so many, like 26, 36, 39. There's a They'll have a lot of cracks at this. They should be able to get somebody.
2: What are the chances they take Leangelo Ball with the 60th pick in the draft?
0: Please don't. Please <laughs> don't. That's one. Sell the pick rather than take Ball. Yeah. I'm 100% for that one. I help Joshua Harris out as if he needs it. That, uh,
1: that helicopter fuel isn't cheap. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. Um, thank you, guys, for jumping on. We'll talk to you after the draft and before free agency and the summer league should be a, an exciting couple of weeks, maybe even month or two considering the GM shirt search could drag out, but we will talk to you soon.
2: Cool. See you then.
0: All right. Stick around. And we will talk to Sam Visini of the athletic. Let's go. All right. I'm now joined by Sam Visini, my colleague over at uh, the athletic and at CLNS media. How you doing, Sam?
4: Derek, it's always great to be on the podcast. It's that time of year where Sixers fans always look forward to, but this year's a little bit different because they're coming off of a playoff berth, having uh, had all of this energy toward the team and the current team, and you obviously get to look for the future now and you get to have a lottery pick, but this might be the last time for a while.
0: Yeah, it was was a very different uh, spring in many regards. First, the the playoff run, then the GM controversy, and now the Kawhi Leonard trade rumors. So there's been a lot to talk about, a lot to kind of distract fans from this upcoming draft. But like you said, it is their last chance, likely their last chance at a lottery pick. There is even talk of them moving up in the draft. So there is still a lot at stake. Don't want to keep you long, so we'll get right to it. Just real quick, who do you like for the Sixers at ten? Who would you kind of stay away from at ten? Who maybe maybe mocked in that range?
4: Yeah, I mean we're we're going to start just at ten, right? Not for a trade up scenario, right? Correct. Yep, just ten. So just at ten, I think that the guy who's been connected with the Sixers all year is Mikhail Bridges, right? Like that makes total sense from a skill perspective. You know, the Sixers know him well. I believe his mother works for like Josh Harris's uh, organization, correct? Correct, yep. Um,
0: and it, they're it, gonna be, he's got a cousin go who's also in the Philadelphia media.
4: Yeah, like uh, this is a very, very strong fit. I, I would imagine that if he's on the board uh, and they decide to stay at 10, it would be really hard to pass him up. Six-foot-seven, seven-foot-two wingspan, 43% three-point shooter, uh, elite shooter uh, on the move. He uh, is not necessarily a guy who's going to create plays for himself, but – You know, he's exactly what the Sixers need from a floor-spacing perspective, from a low-usage role perspective. He's going to be a starter for a long time in the NBA. I don't know that I see, like, a crazy amount of upside there, but he's going to be a very, very good player, I think.
0: Do you think he has, you know, I think a lot of the people he's compared to, Trevor Ariza, even Robert Covington, I think a lot of those guys have kind of one through four defensive equity. Do you quite see him having that kind of versatility, or is he maybe a little more 2-3 bound?
4: Yeah, that's a really good question. He's kind of a difficult defender to evaluate because he is not necessarily a super high level one-on-one defender because his limbs are so long. Uh his legs are, you know, just as long as his arms. Like some guys have really long arms and still maintain that low center of gravity. He doesn't really have that. He has higher hips on his body. And sometimes because of that, It takes him just like that extra split second to get going whenever he's down in his stance sliding defensively. And he can get blown by occasionally one-on-one. But here's the thing. He's a really, really good uh, help defender. He has a really great instinct uh, in terms of gap defense. He makes plays happen in uh, passing lanes, everything like that. He's a really, really good uh, overall team defender. So... In that vein, I think that you can probably get away with sliding him one through four and and having him be a switchable defender. He has experience at the point of attack, uh, defending at the top of what that zone is that Villanova runs sometimes, which is like kind of two-thirds court, not even really three-quarter court. So I I really like that idea of him as well. It's a great fit for what Philadelphia would be looking for.
0: Yeah, I see a lot of people who want to replace Robert Covington with with bridges and I don't view that at all. I think if you can have as many wing three and D switchable defenders, you you keep as many as you can. But I do think he has a lot of the weaknesses, and that Covington's not maybe the, you know, I think a lot of people want to replace Covington with some of they view as maybe a better point of attack defender. And I'm not sure. I I think Bridges actually has a lot of the same strengths and weaknesses that Covington has in that regard.
4: Yeah, that's really interesting. I kind of agree with you, and I, I'm someone who really likes Robert Covington as a defender. I, I think Covington is a little bit stronger just throughout his body. And you would have to trust Mikhail Bridges to continue to put on strength because, I mean, this is a kid that since he's gotten to Villanova, put on probably – pretty damn close to 35 pounds and has really filled out his frame. Like he was unplayable as a true freshman because he was so skinny and they needed to kind of bulk him up a little bit. So yeah, there are some similarities there, but I think that a lot of it depends on what teams think they can get out of him physically in terms of development.
0: All right. So maybe somebody moving on, somebody who you would think is, is being mocked in that range who you would stay away from if you're the Sixers either because maybe you just don't think they're as as good of a prospect as they're being rated or because of fit reasons.
4: Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, it, you know, like I wouldn't love a Kevin Knox pick there. I, I wouldn't love a Wendell Carter pick there, even though like, like I've been trying to mock out the draft right now. Like I'm literally working on my updated mock as, you know, right. As you called me and the guy that I've been struggling to find a fit for recently is Wendell Carter. Um, I don't think there's like a, I think there's a non-zero chance that he ends up being there at 10 and just given the Sixers situation with Joel Embiid's injury history with what their contract situation looks like with Amir Johnson and Rashawn Holmes is going to get expensive if they want to keep him, uh, you know, going forward here soon. Wendell Carter might be a pretty good insurance policy, but if I'm the Sixers I would probably be trying to get a little bit more versatile trying to, uh, you know, fill out the rest of that starting roster Probably wouldn't take Colin Sexton because he's a non-shooter. You know, probably wouldn't take a Robert Williams. I'm not as high on Lonnie Walker, so I probably wouldn't take him there either, although I think that he's a real possibility. Uh, You know, at number 10, him and Shea Gildas-Alexander, it seems like, are uh, good backup potential picks there. I like Shea a little bit more than I like Lonnie and think it would be a fine pick. Um, And then the other guy that I would really consider if I was the Sixers is Miles Bridges. I think that the Sixers have the length and the athleticism to kind of make up for his length. And he's a really underrated shooter on the move, really good at attacking closeouts. I think he would fit uh, within their offensive scheme a little bit better than what he's gotten credit for.
0: Yeah, a lot lot of real interesting names. I like Wendell Carter Jr. a lot. I don't necessarily like Wendell Carter Jr. playing at the four next to Joel Embiid. And if you're going to draft a guy with a top ten pick, as much as you need a backup for Embiid, It's hard to really justify someone if he can't, you know, really fit alongside Joel. So a prospect I like, a prospect I'm not sure I see a fit. I agree with you there. Well, like,
4: the other thing with Wendell Carter, too, is, like, he doesn't give the Sixers anything different than what Joel does. Like, his concerns are the same as what we just saw Joel's concerns were in the playoffs, where uh, the Celtics put him in a lot of really difficult situations in space. Wendell Carter is going to have the same limitations. So if I was the Sixers, I'd be looking for a more mobile center to be able to give teams different looks whenever Joel struggles there.
0: Yeah, for sure. And he's he's going to come in and run into a lot of the problems of good prospect, really good all around game, but it's so easy to get a uh, you know an undervalued center because of the glut that are in the NBA. It, he he's a guy who could fall yep. on draft night, even if I like you, I like him quite a bit. All right, there's been a lot of talk of the Sixers moving up either in terms of In the top five, there's been a lot of rumors about the Memphis Grizzlies and their desire to move Chandler Parsons and dangling that four pick as well. So combining those two rumors, there's two names that get brought up a lot. Luka Doncic, who is falling in the eyes of of some at this time of year, and Michael Porter Jr., who is probably the biggest enigma in in this draft. What are your thoughts on those two as fits with the Sixers?
4: I love the idea of Luka Doncic uh, with Philadelphia, for sure. He could share ball handling duties with Ben Simmons. Uh, I would be a little bit worried that they're both so dependent on – well, Ben's not really so dependent on ball screens, but Luka particularly is pretty dependent on ball screens. Um He is a really good shooter. Like I, you tweeted this yesterday that, uh you know – people who – something along the lines of, like, people who are worried about Luka Doncic as a shooter just, like, haven't really watched Luka Doncic play because, uh, you know, he's shooting – I said shooting... it
0: much more politically correct, much nicer than that.
4: Yeah, I mean, like, he's shooting, I think, 31% from three this year, but if you watch him, it's because he takes a billion difficult shots. Also, he's he has a penchant for taking, like, half-court shots, too. He's taken 20 half-court shots or beyond this year and missed all of them. <laughs> so, like, if you – throw those out. He's at like thirty-three and a half percent, thirty-four percent or something like that. So yeah, like it's people who are worried about him as a jump shooter just losing their minds, I think. Um and just like trying to nitpick him to death because he's a European prospect. But like there are concerns about the defense. I get that, but Philadelphia is we've seen, you know, hopefully even though Lloyd Pierce has departed, they maintain the same level of defense over the next few years. They have a way to insulate Luka Doncic as a defender. He's a smart defender, but he's going to struggle on that end. I think um, overall, I think he'd be a really great fit just because he's an excellent decision maker that you could put next to Ben Simmons and you could play super big lineups while maintaining skill. Um, Michael Porter, on the other hand, I don't know. Like, I feel the same way about Michael Porter on the Sixers that I feel about Michael Porter on just about any other team. I have no idea if he's going to stay healthy. Uh, I don't think NBA teams really have a great feel yet on if he's going to stay healthy. Um, There have been some... You know, you remember when Ben Simmons was a prospect, there were some concerns about like entitlement and sure. you know all, all of this stuff that came out. You know, Michael Porter has some of the same concerns. It is what Simmons did then, but Porter isn't the same level of prospect I would say that Ben is, so it's a little bit more of a concern in my opinion. Um yeah, just overall I probably would stay away from Porter if I was Philadelphia. I, I would much rather have a safer selection there, given the fact that I already have my two superstars.
0: Yeah, no, I'm I'm pretty much in line with you. I like Luca a lot. He's certainly in, still in my top two, which at this point almost feels like a, a controversial opinion, which I'm surprised. But there's, you know, I never look at like decision-making as something that's, um you know, redundant. <laughs> and I think a lot of times we do. And I think that's kind of beaten into us because a lot of times that comes at the expense of size. Like we look at, ball handlers and passers and creative players as, as people at point guard size. I think as long as you can space the floor and, and, and keep your defensive assignments in check, which is, is going to be an issue for, for Luka, but he has the size where you have some versatility in that regard. Uh, I, I, I think he would be great whether that's solely on the ball. I think the Sixers proved even with Ben Simmons you need someone who can, who can really operate off of a, a pick and roll, uh, off a of middle pick and roll, and he can certainly do that. Uh, and a guy who can shoot and spread the floor, and I have a lot of confidence there. And even a guy who can attack a closeout and and come out and and make a good read from that, I think he I think he would be a real good fit. Um, just out of curiosity, would you have him rated higher or lower than Markell Fultz just out of what you saw at Washington? Oh God, <laughs>
4: <laughs> I would probably take Luca okay. over Fultz. It's, um, it's
0: real tough because you can't unsee that jump shot that Markel had for the last couple of months, it's hard to really forget about everything that's happened since then. No, um, they're close, though. Uh,
4: yeah, like, I, I do understand what you're saying, that, you know, it's hard to not let the future inform the past, right? right. But honestly, like, kind of looking back at what Fultz was at Washington, he, he was totally fair, number one overall pick, but I, I think that, what Luca has done in terms of what he has actually accomplished in Europe for him would supersede what Markel did at Washington. Just you know, kind of in the way that I evaluate prospects, but I think that again, Markel totally valid number one pick at the time.
0: Yeah, I think I think I think it's uh, the Luca debate is really interesting and it's taken a course that I wasn't expecting. You know, a month ago, I don't think any, I didn't expect anybody to question whether he would be a top two pick, and now we're you know. A lot of concerns about the athleticism, and I get a lot of them, but he's just – he's – I think – I mean when you're 6'8", and you can pass out of a pick and roll like he can, I think I'm just a lot more willing to to bet on that. Like I'm – longer I've done this, the more I'm willing to bet on high IQ, quick decision-making basketball players, and he fits that so perfectly to a T. and I am so bullish on his jump shot that I like him a lot. In
4: production, like people – I think people often overthink production in a way. Um, They try and get into all of the scouting analysis and, you know, look, I'm as far in the weeds on scouting analysis as anyone is. But, like, at a certain level, and it's the same with Marvin Bagley, right? Like, Luka Doncic was the EuroLeague MVP, was the ACB MVP. It's the second best league in the world. Like, don't overthink it. Marvin Bagley averaged 21 points and 11 rebounds as an 18 year old this year at Duke. Don't overthink it.
0: Yeah, yeah, no. It's, uh, and I, I think if people were a little more familiar with the ACB, I think that would be a more common, common belief. All right, real quick before we let you go, people you would target either at 26 or in the second round who you think would be either good fits or are a little bit undervalued?
4: The thing that NBA executives have been kind of preaching throughout this process is that uh, basically from like 18 or so, all the way to number 40, 42, something like that, you're going to get a similar level prospect, like maybe like a same tiered level prospect for the most part. Like, uh, sure, some guys are going to be higher on that tier than others, but it's, it's a pretty flat talent curve in that range. Like the Sixers could end up easily with, Let's say Dante DiVincenzo at 26, uh, Kyrie Thomas at 38, and uh, you know Kevin Hervey at 39. Those are all guys that are pretty similarly talented. Dante is maybe a step above, that's why he gets taken first. But like, they have concerns, they have questions, they have all of the different avenues of their game with which uh, people have concerns about and people are happy about. So, I like the idea of. The Sixers having three picks in those range in that range, I would probably keep all three of those picks if I was the Sixers and I could. Uh, I, I really think that they're going to be able to get value uh, in depth uh, at those spots. The late picks, I, I mean, if if we're going deep into the weeds here, uh, man like I like Devin Hall, 6 foot 5 kid, 6 foot 8 wingspan, can shoot the heck out of it, was Virginia's best player this year on the number 1 team in the country until the UMBC disaster. Sneaky guy that I really like is George King out of Colorado. I have him at number 60 on my board. Um 24 years old, but he's 6 foot 6, 7 foot wingspan. He is already a grown ass man. Um strong as hell, defends shoots the ball at a 40% clip from distance. He'd be a good fit. I think with what Philadelphia is kind of building. Um, If they're looking for a backup big man, I'll say this. I think that the internet has gone around the bend on Brandon McCoy. um, And he's now an undervalued draft prospect. He was early in the season when he was averaging like 18 and 10 and people were like, Oh my God, there's a freshman average averaging 18 and 10 at UNLV. Uh, you know, people had him in the first round, and it was probably a little bit of an overstatement at that time, but now people are, like, questioning whether or not he's going to get drafted at all, and I think that that's a little bit crazy. He's seven foot 7'2", wingspan, works really hard on the glass, uh, has underrated athleticism, and can actually, like, have potential eventually to step out and shoot it, even if he can't do that yet. And then the last guy I want to point out is a, a Mike Levin special. Uh, I'm a big Alonzo Trier guy. I'm at number 48 on my board. I think he is, like, just a professional scorer already. He has great footwork. He needs to improve as a shooter off the catch. He gets a little hitchy there. He's a lot more comfortable taking one dribble, stopping and pulling up. But I just love what he brings. I love his mentality. Uh, I love that he has a little bit of edge to him, a little bit of cockiness. But he's also incredibly intelligent and very aware of what he is um he is someone that can quote you his true shooting percentage off the top of his heart uh he is someone who kind of pays attention to what the narrative is around him why wouldn't he after his time at Arizona so very very interesting player
0: in my opinion by listing bridges and dante you certainly made a lot of friends here in the philadelphia <laughs> area listening to this podcast Go check out his stuff. He released a, a new top 100 ranking, Sam, Sam Vicini of The Athletic. Thank you again, friend. Anytime, Derek. All right. Thanks, Sam, for coming on, and we will now end the show with Ricky O'Donnell of SB Nation. All right. I'm now joined by Ricky O'Donnell of SB Nation. How you doing?
3: I'm good, Derek. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, of course. Um, so this is, this is right in your wheelhouse. It's your time of year. Go check out, Ricky just released a, uh, a best pick for each team. So go check that out over at com slash NBA. We will go over it a bit here on the podcast. So I guess jumping right into it because I don't want to waste too much of your time. If you were the Sixers at 10, who's a prospect or two that you would really be looking for?
3: I think they're going to have a bunch of intriguing options on the board for them. Three names in particular that stand out to me. Miles Bridges, a wing from Michigan State. Michael Bridges, the wing from Villanova. And Zaire Smith, a guard from Texas Tech. I think if they came away from this draft with any of those guys, that would ultimately be a successful draft for them. Uh, I think Miles Bridges might be my favorite, even though he doesn't have as much hype uh, coming into this draft as it felt like he had a year ago. He made sort of a strange dece- decision to return for a sophomore year at Michigan State, which everyone knows about. He didn't really help or hurt his stock. But I do think his game just translates to the modern era of the league really well. He's six foot six. He's able to switch screens defensively. Elite athlete. Can shoot a little bit. Can pass a little bit. Can handle a little bit. Not, like, great in any of those skills, but I think he's got, like, a baseline competency in all of them in addition to being, like, one of the draft's most explosive athletes, So I think, like, his positional fit with Philly being able to run in transition with Ben Simmons would be really interesting. Also, if Philly wants to go small and slide him up to the four during the times when Embiid's taking a rest, uh, I think that would be pretty good. But he also has, you know, enough shooting and ball handling and passing, I think, to play the three. Uh, so Miles Bridges, if he's on the board, he'd be a good pick for Philly, I think. Michael Bridges... I'm sure is getting a lot of hype locally as a Philly kid who went to Villanova, won two national championships there. Probably one of the best shooters in this draft. I mean, it's hard to really knock his shooting ability. Villanova ran him off a lot of the same sets. You'll see guys like Ray Allen or even Rip Hamilton uh, used to run back in the day. Really just a pure shooter. Hailed about 44% of his threes this year at Villanova. Also in the 80s as a free throw shooter. He's a good defender. I don't know if he's quite an elite defender. He does have a skinny frame. He's about 210 pounds. I think he was the second lightest player at the draft combine besides for Trey Young. Really, Michael Bridge is going to stay in his lane. He's just going to be a catch-and-shoot threat on the outside, and he's going to be a pretty good, versatile defensive player who I think is probably his best hounding opposing guards more so than, like, switching on to big men. I'm not sure if he quite has the strength for that. The problem is he really struggles to put the ball on the floor and make plays for others. Uh, maybe that's not as much of a concern for the Sixers because they do have two high-usage offensive forces in Embiid and Simmons. And really, if Markel Foltz can achieve uh, the potential that he showed at the college level, I think at that point, Mikel would be really good because then you sort of have that other ball handler, playmaker, who can break down the defense, and Mikel can sort of just space the floor and uh, play the passing lanes defensively. So I do like Mikel. I mean, if Fultz could, you know, live up to his talent level if he figures out the jump shot again, I think Michael would be a perfect fit. But who really knows what to make of Fultz at this point? Also, love Zaire Smith. I have a big feature dropping on Zaire Smith on Tuesday at espionation.com where I talk to his dad, is an AAU coach. Talked to Zaire for a while at the combine. Uh, best athlete in the draft. He's a really unique player. He's six foot four, but he rebounded better than Jaron Jackson, blocked more shots than Marvin Bagley Jr. Just an elite athlete in every sense of the word, he explodes off the floor. He's a guard who plays like a big man, and that's a good thing in a sense because he's always around the rim. He's able to finish, plays in the paint above the rim, both ends of the court. But he also has a pretty rudimentary skill level right now as a shooter and a ball handler. His shooting is apparently improving quickly, and I do tend to believe in his progress as a shooter because he was a good low-volume shooter at Texas Tech. I think as he gains more confidence in the jump shot, he could end up being a really good player, ball handling that might take more time to develop. Uh, but he's someone who is not going to like demand to hold the ball. He's another guy who kind of stays within his lane, but flies all over the court defensively. Uh, I think any of those guys would be a good pick for the Sixers at ten.
0: Yeah, they're interesting. I think I think Miles Bridges. If you just looked at the uh, looked at the stats, you might not see all that much improvement. But he really did play a lot more three this year, and I think that reassured some of his positional versatility. I think Mike I think everybody in this town pretty much knows what you're getting from him. Um, all right, so is there anyone at the uh, at the 10 spot that is maybe projected in that range, but that you would kind of stay away from, whether or not that's because you think they're a little overrated, or because they might not fit with the Sixers?
3: Uh, I mean, I don't know, it's a, it's a tough decision. Like if Wendell Carter were to slip to 10, I think he's a really good player, but... He probably doesn't fit what the Sixers have with Embiid and Simmons already in place. Uh, I don't know if Colin Sexton's getting any hype there, but, you know, he sort of he is projected to go in about that range. Knicks could take him at nine. Uh, I probably wouldn't want him for the Sixers because I would still bet on Fultz's sort of long-term potential. And Sexton, in general, I think is a little rough as a passer and as a shooter. Uh, so, you know, if he is on the board at 10, I think he could probably get Some attention at that pick, but I'd
0: probably pass. All right, so the Sixers have been rumored to potentially trade up. There was a report that they were interested in in trying to get a top five pick. There's also a report that the Memphis Grizzlies are shopping their pick to clear off the Chandler Parsons contract. So I'm going to bring up three guys and want your thoughts on them. Uh, First of all is, is Luka Doncic, who seemed like a top, surefire top two pick for much of the season. Some people have questioned that now. Michael Porter Jr. also, and Trey Young.
3: Yeah, I would rank him Luka 1, Trey 2, Porter 3. Luka, to me, should be the number one pick. Uh, I think he's the best player in this draft, or he's the player in this draft who's going to have the greatest influence on winning, I guess is the best way to put it. I don't know if he's going to put up, like, you know, all NBA-calibre numbers, but I do think that his ability to stuff the stat sheet and make winning plays is just going to have a great impact on the NBA level. I believe in him as a shooter. I think he's really underrated just as a competitor. I think that NBA fans are going to be really impressed by that. He's not really the prototypical, quote-unquote, soft Euro. I think he's going to be able to get after people on both ends of the court. He's going to be able to make plays as a ball handler, make reads in the pick and roll. And I think he'll play the game with some flair that will be fun to watch too. Uh, Doncic should be the number one player in this draft. He was somehow able to last forward. It be a no-brainer move to trade up for him for any team, I believe. Trey Young, I think Trey Young would be nasty on the Sixers, assuming that, you know, you're not really sure what to make of Fultz at this point. Trey Young, just such deep range off the dribble as a shooter. Also, a really tremendous passer who can make a play to beat you when he's trapped over the screen. Uh, you can't go under any screen on him because he is such deep range, such a quick release. He's also someone who just sort of throws off the rhythm of the game because he's taking shots that no one in their right mind would take outside of Steph Curry. <laughs> But he has a propensity to make him. It sort of keeps the defense on their heels. And even his misses sort of serve to have a long-term effect on the rest of the game. Uh, he is extremely small and uh, under-athletic for the NBA point guard position. But, you know, I compare him maybe to someone like Isaiah Thomas, the contemporary version of Isaiah Thomas, who was so great for the Celtics a couple of years ago. He's not quite that strong, but he is a better passer. You wonder if he'll get exposed in the playoffs, as that tends to happen to small guards. But... I believe in Trey Young. I think he's going to be a really great offensive player uh, and really make up for his defensive limitations with all the value he's providing on offense. As for Porter, I mean, just Boomer bust, straight up. Like, The injury concerns are horrifying, I think, he has like, 70-year-old man injuries, even though he's like 20 years old. Uh, so I don't know what to make of that. I don't have his medicals. I'm not a doctor, so I don't really know what to say about that. But they certainly seem scary. And just from a skill set perspective, I watched him play quite a bit, covering recruiting for SB Nation. That's when he was healthy. I thought he was the best player in the class, to be honest. When I watched him, when he was healthy. But you lose a lot of the nuances of the game when you're watching EYBL, which is Nike's AAU circuit, or McDonald's All-American practices. Because he wasn't really asked to make plays defensively. Uh, he was a scorer through and through. He wasn't someone who was going to, like, showcase great feel for the game and passing instincts. So... Uh, I do think there's some questions in Porter's skill set in addition to the injury concerns. And uh, to me, I mean, if you're going to trade up, I'd pass on him. I'd take the other two guys ahead of him.
0: Yeah, he was was one of the guys that because of maybe some of the habits you could get away with, like you said, in in the Nike circuit, in AAU, um, in high school, I really wanted to see him play against tougher competition and in a more structured circuit. Not that Missouri was necessarily the best structure out there, but his injury to me was makes a real tough eval on him, real tough. All right, we don't have to certainly get too deep into the, the back half of the second round. I don't think too many people are listening here are going to care about 56 and 60. But guys in maybe that 26 through 39 range who you might think are a little undervalued and who you would target.
3: Yeah, I really like Josh Koji, a wing from Georgia Tech. 6'4", 7-foot wingspan, hit 38% of his threes both of his years. At GT, uh, I think that he's just sort of like a high-motor defensive guy who can be a catch-and-shoot threat. So he's a no-brainer for me uh, if he lasts that deep into the draft. I also like Kevin Herter, a guard from Maryland. One of the better shooters in this draft as well. Six-foot-eight, so good size. He makes quick decisions on the floor. just able to move the ball. Pretty good passer. Uh, is he going to compete defensively? That's question mark. But I do think as a catch-and-shoot guy, he can provide a good amount of value. Uh, I also, you know, I'm not super high on Jerome Robinson. It seems like he's going to go probably earlier than the 26th pick anyways, because he's been a really hot name this late in the draft process. But he can just fill it up from all three levels. Uh, And for a Philly team that might want some scoring punch, at off guard, he would be a good pick, I think, at 26. I don't know if he's going to defend anyone, but, like, the Sixers picked up Bellinelli off the streets, Niliasova off the streets. We're playing them in crunch time in the playoffs. So, they clearly need some shooting uh, and just some more perimeter weapons around getting Simmons, so I think any of those guys would be a good match.
0: All right. Well, I think that all sounds great. Thank you very much for your time. Check them out on Twitter, SBN underscore Ricky, and at SBNation.com. Thanks again.
3: Thanks.
2: You've been listening to the Sixers beat right here on LibertyBowlers.com
3: and LibertyBroadcast.co.